right, everybody. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Rev Ops Podcast. We we are doing a, a a special episode today. It's our second ever guest on the Rev Ops Podcast. So I'm joined as usual by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger, and then we have uh, a guest today, Randy Frisch, who is the CMO of Uberflip. Randy, you want to go ahead and say hi? Introduce yourself. Hey guys, I know I'm excited to be here. I've uh, I think this is my first podcast. With three co-hosts, I feel like I'm on that one with the guy with Will and Grace and uh, you know, what's that podcast? It's fantastic. You always been on the mystery guest. Oh uh, yes, uh, Smartless. Smartless, exactly. Yeah. What, 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 Brandon? Why do you always know like every uh, podcast? Every you're like, oh, it's that book know, by this guy. And you're I like, know oh, podcasts. Just, I know books. I, yeah. I don't know music. I don't know bands. That's all Jonathan's there. <laughs> I, I mean, don't go listen to that podcast now. But later, go listen to that podcast. Go it's listen fun. to it later. Okay, totally. Right, yeah. we're, we're, we're gonna Alec, Alec, make a note. We need to reach out to them about the sponsorship that we just did, so we can get some some credit <laughs> yeah. for that. Uh, cool. That's awesome. So. So, Randy, I'm super excited to, to have you here today. I, I, I'm really, really happy to, to have you on. You, you've talked a lot about, well, Uberflip. I mean, it's content experience, right? Which, which is like a totally different thing to content creation. Um, so, so the first thing I want to do, and the first thing I always make Jonathan and Brandon give me a definition of something, and they always do a terrible job. Knock it, it out of the park. No, so, I think we do. So, so, so I think... I, uh, content creation is obviously something everybody's familiar with as, as a term and is using, right? Content experience, though, kind of a kind of a diff- uh, well, totally different thing. Do you have a definition of content experience, or what does content experience mean for for Uberflip? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a it's a great question, and uh, I'm going to do the one thing you should never do with content, which is, <laughs> which is timestamp content here by telling you I, I literally. <laughs> was just at my first event in two years or whenever this whole world changed. And uh, it was content marketing world. So I literally just got back from Cleveland, you know, less than 24 hours ago. And that event is, you know, all about content marketing. And, and you hear the term content marketing and you look at Content Marketing Institute, which started that event and, and really, I think, brought content marketing to the forefront 10, 15 years ago. You know, their intention of doing so, I think, was a full picture of the value of content, right? You look at some of their definitions on content marketing, it's things like, you know, creating content that's valuable, relevant, and consistent to ultimately, you know, attract an audience and engage with them and, you know, profit from, from such activities. But the reality is, if you look at a lot of content marketers, and no offense to the content marketers who are listening here right now, uh, (laughs) but you know, a lot of their role is not necessarily associated with the distribution of the content, with the you know impacting marketing campaigns and injecting it into demand activities. I mean, that's stuff that you know, Brandon's a rare content guy. He he does that for sure. Don't 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 come on here and prop Brandon. I saw his eyes. I saw him like, come on, Randy, like give me a better, yeah. But but the reality is a lot of content people, they're really good at creating content. And that's what became this association with content marketing. It was we've got to go and we've got to create content at scale. We got to create, you know, a certain number of blog posts per week or a white paper every quarter or month, depending on how crazy their CMO is. And you know, that's really important and hard work. Like, you know, I wrote this book called Fuck Content Marketing, and it, it was not that I hate content marketers or Brandon or anyone like that. <laughs> it was, you know, to be really clear, it was more so this idea that there's no point 
in investing in all that content creation if we don't use the content. And so when you turn to content experience, it's there to ensure that all that content that we've created is consumed by thinking more about things like the environment, the structure, and the way we get someone to engage. So that's a little definition thrown within context for you. No, that's that's awesome. So, so sort of, um, you're thinking of content experience in, in two. There's actually two veins there because I think when I when I hear the term content experience, the first thing is like, well, what is the how is how is the user experiencing that content, right? Like, what what are they engaging with in it? Like, are they are they engaging in it? Are they finding value? What what parts of it are driving value for them? That sort of thing. But there's also the second piece, which is how is your internal team finding and, and putting out? Like, what's their experience of getting that content and putting it out into the world and using it, right? And so, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it, we're, we're talking there about two different stakeholders, right? We're talking about yeah. the internal stakeholders, as you as you hit on at the end, and we're talking ultimately about our audience. You know, our buyers, our customers, uh, and, and thinking about what this means for them at the end of the day. I, I, in many ways, I think we really got to start with the customer, though, right? Because it's on us to guide them and deliver them one asset after the next in a way that feels made for you, right? I use those word made for you, not like they're my yeah. own. I mean, that's Spotify <laughs> words. Uh, and I, and I have to, like, I, I've got I'm pretty sure they that. stole it from somebody too. Like, made for you. That's been that's a phrase that's been around for a long time. It's amazing, right? Like I'm opening up Spotify here right now. I promise I'm not going to play anything because it's my kids' music. You can play like, I think under 15 seconds before we get in trouble, just so you know. I'm <laughs> I, I'm going to end up playing the Smartless podcast and really yeah. losing everyone. <laughs> but but what's amazing here is they've got this word. I mean, no one's going to see this, but it says "made for Randy Frisch." I mean, like, yeah, that's pretty cool. When I was like, like when I was like a 13 year old trying to get the girls, uh, I would make playlists, right? And it was, but they were mixtapes, right? Yeah. Like, and and that was this laborious task to really be thoughtful and pick the right songs and everything that went into that. I mean, some people are like, what's a mixtape? Just look it up. Um, yeah. go, go watch the movie High Fidelity with John Cusack and you'll <laughs> yes, understand yes. all that you need to know about mixtapes. There you go. Good choice. Good choice. So there's, there's this thing that we associate that, which is highly personalized. But one of the things I always remind people is this playlist that Spotify has created for me None of that content was created for me, mm. right? Like ACDC, as much as I wish, did not create a track just for me, right? The reality is they're just finding the most relevant contextual content to my interests. And I think that's the part we get caught up on when we're thinking about guiding the journey and we think about content marketing is a lot of organizations are seeing they're getting overwhelmed at this idea. Well, do I have to create a whole bunch more content to keep someone engaged? And sometimes, yes, we may have holes in our content, but the key is to plug those holes, not create new content every day for that same hole, right? What we need to be able to do is say, okay, well, what, what is going to make a great mixtape for each buyer that's coming to us at each stage of the buyer journey, right? So, I mean, we're, we're talking RevOps here, right? The, uh, the, the goal of that RevOps mindset is to get someone from one stage to the next, and to understand that, we really think about different engagement points. And at every engagement point, we'll get to this probably at some point, there's, there's got to be content. Like right. what campaign have, has anyone ever run that didn't have a CTA, right? And what CTA does not lead us to content, right? 
everything we send out. If we send out an email, click here. Like we don't want you in the email anymore. We want you to click here and read this asset. If we yeah. send, it's same as a sales email, right? Sales rep sends the email. There's always this link. Usually there's like six links, which makes no sense to me. We all get those emails, right? Marketers yeah. and, and whatnot. We're like, yeah, click here, then here, then here. Yeah, like I'm going to do that. Um, but, but, you know, think about it. The ads that we send out, it's click here. The, you know, the press releases we put out, the social ads that we put out, it's all about click here. And then it's this experience. And that's the part that we have to think more about from a content perspective, which is what's going to get them excited first, but what's going to keep them from leaving at the end of the day. Yeah. And what's, what's, what, it, which goes back to what's the purpose of that piece of content? What part of the, the gap are you filling, right? Like you've identified a gap, I'm plugging that gap and then moving forward. And, and that, when you talk about it from a RevOps standpoint, I, I go immediately to not just for our marketers listening, we love you, but like marketing is obviously focused often around, hey, like let's bring in new leads, let's bring in new new opportunities. But this is also applicable to your sales funnel, right? And this is applicable to your customer success team, maintaining customers and keeping them for a long period of time. Like there's always CTAs and gaps, but but certainly you can think of the buyer experience is not just the buyer, it's in the content experience is not just getting new leads. It's, it's actually that entire cycle. Right. And so I want to, I want to, you mentioned, which I, I think this is really important. You talk about filling the gap and then like use that content to fill the gap over and over and over again. And you said at the very top, don't timestamp content, which I think is really, really important because if you do timestamp it, like, Hey, this is the best of February, 2019. Like, you can use that for one month and it's ruined forever after that. Right. Yeah, it's and, so and, true. and, 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 and and everybody, I see so much time-stamped content. Everybody does it. Yeah. We fall victim to it all the time, right? What what other what are the like best practices? Simple simple things that our group, like anybody listening, could take away. And I'm thinking, like, should I gate content? Is that a thing that I should do ever? Or what other things do you say? Like, don't timestamp content. Super valuable. What other like two bullet points would you say? Hey, this is top of mind for me. Sure. So first off, I, I have to. I, I know I'm supposed to answer a question with an, an answer, but I'm going to first jump back because I, I couldn't stop laughing in my head at your February comment. I once had a member of our <laughs> this years ago, so I'm, I'm not, you know, the person's no longer here. I can make fun of it. Um, and they came with this idea where they wanted to do 28 days of content because it was February. Right. And I was actually, no, 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 no. I think it was, a they were, leap year. they were really happy. Was, oh, I was just going to say, were they happy? It wasn't a leap year, but they got that. Extra <laughs> yeah. And they were like, it's going to be great. We're going to go out with this idea. We've got 29 really great pieces of content to fill your February. And I was like, okay, but what happens if we want to reuse this content in July? Right. And, and it was just like, they were like, oh, I don't know. It's going to be 29. Like we're going to do all the ads. It's going to be about how there's 29. And I'm like, Let's create things that we can use for the different cohorts that come in to buy from us, you know, one at a yeah. time and, and not be so obsessed with what day in the month it is. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to be timely and talk to people of, of what's going on. But, you know, so let me actually get to your, your question, Jordan, which is like, <laughs> what, you know, what are some tips? And, and let's talk about the gaps first. We can talk about CTAs as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, 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 I mean, gaps is how, how do we identify gaps? Let's start with that yeah. when we're talking about it, right? So listen, from a from a RevOps perspective, again, you know, we're we're often thinking about different stages of the buyer journey and how we get someone from one to the next and keep things moving along. 
So what I always like to, to tell my team and, and other marketers to do is, is start with a very basic spreadsheet. So we're not going to talk like crazy MarTech here. I'm, I'm talking like Google Sheets, Excel, whichever one you're. you're I, you know. I, I love that because our listeners can then go do this immediately, right? They don't have to go yeah, buy three sure. platforms I mean, to do this, right? Again, you know, don't don't open a spreadsheet now because, you know, I, I may lose you. But <laughs> envision this, right? Uh, the meanwhile, they're like listening to SmartList on another device, opening <laughs> yeah, up another tab. Yeah. 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 They've got way, Spotify going with ACDC in the background. Exactly. They're <laughs> yeah. way better multitaskers than me. But so in this spreadsheet, what I want you to envision is your different columns are simply going to be the different stages of the buyer journey. So let's just use a very simple buyer journey and talk about awareness, consideration, and purchase. So say we have three columns. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not suggesting you only have three. You may have more stages that get into advocacy and customer marketing and all sorts of different important stages of the funnel. Uh, now, your rows are going to be the different buyers who are going to be at the table. And, and we all know that it's not a single buyer usually when we have a complex product that we may be selling or service for that matter. I mean, you know, I think the latest Gartner numbers are like 11 people way in at different stages of the buyer journey. Now, you can do this with different personas, you know, your 11 personas, or you can do it even with an account-based mindset, right? The different accounts that we're going after if we're really thinking more one-to-one. And what you start to envision is the intersect of the row and the column, right? So let's say consideration stage that CFO that your company's selling to, what is the content that you need to fill in in that gap? Now, depending on how many buyers and how many different boxes you have, the permutations and combinations get overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is a lot of that content can be used for different buyers. And second of all, what I like to do is I like to color code that you know magical table into the green stuff is stuff that we got to fill that gap today the you know the yellow stuff may be the next quarter and you know and, and red's more down the line you know because it's not as urgent or choose whatever colors make make you feel like christmas right mm-hmm. um and, and and that's the idea we start to build that out and we start to see where we have gaps and we move away from i gotta create another blog post to know i need content because i know that a really critical stage is when that cfo's ex- consideration or purchase stage or whatever stage we said and i need to arm my sales rep and i need to think about the stage the way they're engaging so the last part that you know gets harder with it with a spreadsheet but you can still do this is think about having kind of like a z access to this thing and that z access is the channel that they're coming from and so you know someone who's clicking on to that piece of content from an email sent from the sales rep may be very different than the person who's going to discover you at the top of the funnel coming off of a Instagram ad that, that you may be running, you know, to retarget them. So we also have to take into account where they're coming to, to get to you. And, and that allows us to start to filter and think about the different instances. So it's something as simple as a spreadsheet there. It's not overly hard. I guarantee many people could go do that now and start filling it in and start feeling those gaps and filling those pain points. And that starts to help us understand both the content marketing engine, right? Which is what content do I create next? But even more importantly, the content experience is in what, let's go back to our Spotify analogy, what playlist am I going to put together for someone at that stage? Meaning what different assets do I have to surface for them? 
So I, totally. I, I got a question on, on the, the, the number of content. So I know Forrester put out some research that you're familiar with. Uh, the average buyer consumes 11.4 pieces of content before they actually buy. Now, is, is that helpful? Because my mind goes to, like, how can I get that lower? I think a lot of people are like, all right, now how can I create 11 pieces of content? They run out of things to say. Then they put out fluffy content. And then now that number goes to 15 next year or whatever that might be, right? Like, yeah, so what that, do you actually do with that, that information? No, it's, it's, a great, it's a great point. And I think one of the things that you're highlighting when we look at stats like that is we're, we're assuming that they're just coming and you got to put 11 pieces of content in front of them right now. And as long as you get those 11 in front of them, that they're going to buy. Right. Right. And it kind of breeds this like bad marketing behavior, if you will, that we're right. all guilty of because what it doesn't work that way. We can't, it's not just put those 11 pieces in front and they're going to consume them and be ready to buy. To your point, they may only need five. If you can sequence up the right five for them in a row. And, and the problem though, as I said, the bad habit we have as marketers is we think, we think of, of this mindset of a channel and then a destination. And often we think about using, let's say, an ad, and someone's going to click on that ad and then I'm going to serve them an ebook, right? And let's say they consume that ebook somehow, magically, they want it. Uh, well, then what? Well, our mindset isn't get them to another piece of content right there and then. We're kind of like, we, we've already like celebrated too much. And our mindset is, well, we'll just run another campaign and all these CMOs are getting away with this because they're like multi-touch attributions. It's really big buzzword. Like, <laughs> we, we gotta like do, we're going to do a whole other episode on attribution because... Yeah, it's like, you know, because of multi-touch attribution, I can spend a shitload of money and just say, well, it's multi-touch attribution. It takes so many different touch points to get someone over the line. Right? Yeah. And, and, and it's not that that's not true, but how do we become more efficient? I think that's your point, Brandon, is there is a way to be more efficient by sequencing up that next content on the fly to matter based on their interests. And that's mm. where, you know, I, I've seen that stat too. And, and we show graphs of having someone navigate through those 11 pieces of content. Interestingly enough, we did a, we did a study uh, a couple of years back and, it, and it, it was based on data we had from our data science team of actual engagement on content served through Uberflip and through our various customers. And we found that the right amount of content to serve a buyer at any stage ranged from seven to 12 assets, right? And, and the idea there is, is, is a really important one. I think a lot of us, we either link you to one asset or we link you to like this resource page hub that has 72 amazing ebooks <laughs> that are going to help you. Yeah. Right? And it's Read like, <laughs> yeah, it's also, I mean, there's flaws in there too. Right? And, and when like, we talk okay. about content experience, that's a terrible experience. It's exactly. a terrible experience. I mean, it also assumes that you want to read 72 ebooks or it's, five it's the, ebooks. Right. And, and it's the same thing as so many sellers will send me a 22 page deck after a demo. I'm like, I'm not going to go scan through 22 pages of this deck to find that bullet point to create my argument internally for this. Like, come on. Like it's just right. it's a bad experience. <laughs> yeah. We got to listen. We got to put a little bit of uh, you know, soft rock with our ACDC, right? Like it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's gotta be a mix depending on what you want to make it a really intriguing, you know, setup for that buyer. And, and that's where, you know, to your point, Jordan, like I, we need, 
you know, maybe an ebook, maybe a short video, maybe a blog post, maybe a great case study. We need to mesh those all together so that the buyer can either browse through those all together or pick the assets that are going to work best for them. Now, over time, we can even start to learn on a, on a contact by contact basis as long as we're tracking engagement to understand, okay, great, Jonathan is really into eBooks and Brandon is really into video format and Jordan likes really long format content, right? Like, you know, and, and we can start to even manipulate what goes out through our marketing automation programs, through our ad programs, through our retargeting, through even our direct mail based on knowing what someone likes. That's that's where we want to get to. But it starts by being able to surface the right content. So how how, how are you measuring that? What are the KPIs that you can actually, that'll determine, yeah, Jordan actually likes long form content, which I would have never guessed because yeah, like, like, I didn't know how to read. I don't. That's totally opposite. Anybody listening to this, do not send me long form content. You will never hear from me again. Um, but but no, I, I think that that's the same question that I have is is what like how am I measuring what content people like and how am I measuring whether the content that I've created is good? Like, great, I've created this piece of content to fill this gap that I've de- identified in this specific buyer for this specific part of the journey. That's yeah. that's awesome, right? But like. Is that content good? Like, how do I measure that? And how do I measure if it's that person likes it? What am what I looking for for metrics? It's there? a great question. I mean, I mean, first off, this really isn't that hard, but we, we often track engagement through this idea of what page did you go to, right? And it, it's all URL based. If we're, if we're tracking, we should be tracking, but some of us don't even do that. But when we track, it's just they went to this page and this page and this page. All we really need is to make sure that we have the right tags on that, that when we pass it into our CRM or our map or whatever we may be using, that we can actually also filter by underst- by looking at format. So it's, I mean, this is getting into the nuance of technology. Uh, I never like plugging technology in these chats, but, uh, but in our platform. We're, 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 we're a tech company. It's kind yeah, of it's not, yeah, so yeah. you. So, yeah. <laughs> so we want to know. We want to know, you know, how many, what by format, we, we just pass a little identifier that says it was this type of content. So you can then look at that at aggregate or you can dig down to understand by account what type of format or specific buyer within that account is in contact, what format. So this is really easy stuff to do, but it's, you know, we've got to ensure that different groups are have access to the right data, as I say that, because, you know, the marketing team can only, let's be realistic, they can only go so far in terms of what they mm-hmm. analyze on an account. So we have to surface this also for our sales team, because I think one of the things that all marketers have realized is that, you know, God bless, in, you know, HubSpot for creating this inbound term. It's the best term ever. We all loved it, you know, back yeah, love, lo- let's lo- love is a loose term on that. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. It's funny. Like ten years ago, I don't think I could hire a marketer at a school without giving them the the you know prefix of inbound on their marketing title. It was yeah. like they all wanted to be an inbound marketing manager. I don't think I could 
pay someone enough to take that title now. <laughs> but yeah, but like to go to go back to what we were t- you're talking about though, like we actually just did this here. It's super important that your sellers are empowered to find that data that the marketing exactly. is is putting on the record, right? Like actually, Jonathan and I just co-led a training for our sales team at Ring DNA because RevOps. This is totally our umbrella. Yeah. On on looking at campaign data, right? Like here's where you go into Salesforce and here's where you can see the campaign data and here's what that means, right? Like this person has these four campaigns. This person looked at four different infographics or ebooks that we made. Like maybe you should send them something similar to that. Absolutely. When you finally get them on the phone, talk about those things because they're interested yeah. in them, right? And that's so powerful to your sellers to know. And so many sellers don't know that. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. I, I, I mean, the first thing that we have to all buy into that we're getting to it's not no it's no longer that content's used at the top of the funnel. It's used there, but it's also used in the middle and the bottom and at every single stage. So to your point, if we arm sellers with this data, they're sending way more emails than your marketing automation system is ever going to send, right? I mean, we get overwhelmed like, oh my God, my marketing automation system is sending like too many emails to customers. Believe me, your sales reps are sending way more, right? <laughs> and not just to get their attention. Once the deal starts to come together, there's a wild amount of back and forth to get that confidence level to answer all the questions that need to be answered. And in almost all these emails, we're, we're linking to an asset that helps you provide some sort of an answer. Now, what we need to do, again, is surface that data to those sales reps and empower them to be able to find the right content to drop into the email. Um, you know, one of the funny things that you'll, you'll see happen in every sales team, it's, it's literally funny to watch, is they'll search for their own company's content on Google. Right? Yeah. Like, all the time. Oh, all the need, time. I need that blog post. I'm going to ask yeah. Google. Or like, oh, do, yeah. do, we, do we have something that talks about this? I'll type in my company name and what I'm looking for. And, and like, what, what's, what's really crazy is most of the time that works, by the way. Like, it, it actually, <laughs> yeah, we, we convince ourselves it works. Uh, yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. But, but, it, but, it, but it's not data driven, right? Like, they're not, they're not searching not for that content because they saw. It's old messaging, right? Google's yeah. indexing what's relevant over time, not what's relevant. 353 on this day, right? Not what the team just blessed to start going out the door. So what we need to be able to do is make it easier for them to do this. And we have to realize salespeople don't want to log into systems of record that marketing has. So we got to surface that content. You know, this is something that we realized along the path, just listening to some of our customers that they were struggling with this. And, you know, we built this really cool, I use it myself. Um, it's this uh, Chrome plugin that basically surfaces all the approved marketing content down to the sellers so that they can start to drop that in on the fly, not even just as one asset, but basically making that cute made for you Spotify playlist for someone that's like, you know, I love you, you know, prospect, like I love that girlfriend crush, right? Like, and that shows them that you know what's, how you can partner with them, right? And and to do that, obviously, we're going to do the, you know, the vanity shit. Like, we're going to throw their name in there and their logo and all that stuff, right? Like, you know, that that makes it feel real. But but it's really showing that I, I actually have the, you know, Brandon, to your point, whether it's 11.4 pieces of content or uh, we can round it up or round it down to five to be like, I think this is all you need. Right. And if you if you based on my understanding of our conversations and everything that you told me in in call recordings and everything around that, 
this is what I understand that is going to be valuable to help you make a decision. Totally. And and to, to plug Uberflip a little bit, like that, that was so helpful for me when I built that out for the Engageo sales team and showed them exactly how to use it. It's not, hey, just go find 11.4 pieces. It's, hey, you're talking to you know, a, a CMO at this size company in this industry that they, they know where to go. It's the Chrome plugin makes it pretty easy. It's like, all right, just to select five pieces from this, you know, group of maybe a dozen. And then like they, they don't have to go through all the different pieces of content in your library because usually they won't. They'll just end up sending the same stuff that they always send. Yeah. And it's and, just, and, they, don't, and they won't yeah. go to Google and find the, the February 29th leap year content and send it out in exactly. September. Right. Like, like that's you're avoiding that problem. Like I get to curate and, that and making it more product catered. marketing. Yeah. 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 And then your internal content experience is that much better. Absolutely. I mean, we, we kidded about it earlier, but. I mean, how many times do you get that email that's for sure a copy and paste or template or whatever someone has? And it's like six hyperlinks after each other. And there's this mindset that somehow you think I'll either click on all of them or just that I'll click on one, come back to my inbox and not be distracted by the other 18 emails that just came in. And I'm going to go back to click on the next one. I mean, it's, it's almost a joke, let alone that you also have attached PDFs that I'm going to like download and remember to go back. It's, it's, these are things that we're just caught in doing because I I think marketers and sales reps need to work closer together to partner. Like a a marketer would never do what we just described. RevOps podcast, baby. This, but this, this is totally it. Like that to your point, when all of what you've just said, like going, creating the spreadsheet, mapping out the content gaps, doing it from, from top of funnel all the way through to this person is a customer, right? And how am I upselling them and that sort of thing. Those are things that your RevOps team can, can certainly help with, right? Like mapping out the ICPs, mapping out the buyer journey, and then backing in your content thing, and then working with your content team on creating that content, tracking the metrics, making sure that you're powering the sales team and training them on how to use those things. Like the, this is these are very quick and easy, actionable things for all of our listeners. So super mm-hmm. awesome. That is the biggest gap I see at organizations today is marketing will have a ton of great content, but it is almost impossible for sales to surface this content in an easy way that makes it so that they can just easily grab something relevant and shoot it off. So, Randy, what are your suggestions to maybe newer companies starting out on how they can better enable their reps to find marketing content and manage it? Yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. So first off, um, I mean, we, we already talked a lot about this problem of creating too much content. Um, but once we've created all that content, the, the least sexy thing that we got to start doing is tagging and organizing that content. And, and yeah, everyone is now officially turned off to go listen to this part. <laughs> like <that. laughs> like, this sounds like the boring part. Uh, but I swear, this is, it is a little boring and I'm not getting into the weeds of how to do it. But if, if you skip this part, think about it this way. I, I think the, the part that we have to realize is that People don't know the content that was created six months ago, right? If, if they just join that organization, finding that content, remembering that content exists isn't possible in some cases. So what we need to do is we need to have the right ways to find content. So obviously, you know, there's, there's ways to organize content around format. Debatable, as we talked about earlier, if that's the way to do so. Um, but more so, like one of the things that we do on my team we tag all content by opportunity stage, meaning this content is approved for Salesforce opportunity stages 20%, right? 
you know, it may also work at another opportunity stage and it gets, it gets categorized accordingly. Similarly, putting tags around vertical. And, and this is a bit of a different type of thinking for the content team. Remember we say content marketers are great at creating content and thinking about things like SEO and all those important things, but they also have to be responsible for distributing that content or someone else in your organization like a content experience manager needs to. And organizing content by the internal ways that people look for it. So that's yeah. a different tag than that keyword SEO tag. It's more of what am I associating a need for at this stage? And that's the biggest key to making sure content gets used. Yeah, it's organizing it in two ways, right, that, that are super important. One is so that internally it can be used and tagged and known where it's meant to be used and tagged, right? And this, the second is, is, and this is also super important and a huge mistake that we I've seen a lot of people make is, putting out a whole bunch of content and then not indexing it in a way so that I can see who's engaging with specific things. Specifically, people put the same phone number on every goddamn piece of content and every person who calls in, there's no way to attribute that back to that, right? Which, which is a really simple thing to fix, by the way. Like actually Ring DNA fixes that for everybody listening. First time I've ever plugged Ring DNA probably on the podcast, but it's <laughs> it, it like... That's a cool use case. I've never even thought of that. I mean... I'm yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, easy <laughs> thing. Put a new phone number on that way. When they call that phone number, it attributes back to the campaign, right? Like I know they call because cool, of this actually. piece of content. It's very powerful and very, very important. It's like a um, phone UTM parameter. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> marketing, market, marketing call tracking is what we call it. It's very well named. It's exactly <laughs> what it is, right? <laughs> um uh, cool. I, th- I think that's awesome. So, so one of the things, that, and you, by the way, you mentioned on your website, Brandon found this, which Brandon researched an episode for the first time ever. I do. So, a big so, yes. uh, <laughs> not, not when I'm talking to you, yeah, Jordan. I'm nervous when I'm sad out there. But, but on, on, your webs- no, on your website, you say, according to RingDNA, sales teams spend an average of 30 hours per month searching for content, which, which is actually research that we put out, which was not timestamped, so you can use that for a long period of time, right? Uh, but, but, uh, but, but, but that's the problem you're solving. 30 hours per month searching for content on the sales team. That's an insane amount of selling time. And that's a problem that everybody needs to solve very quickly, right? Absolutely. No, it's so true. And, and at the end of the day, I I mean, you know, it's not just searching, but it's, it's dropping in the wrong content when they can't find it. And Mm -hmm. and that's, it makes or breaks it, right? Like, let's be honest, when we get an email and it's personalized. And I'm going to carefully use the word personalized there because we actually did a survey as well. And we asked, we asked two different groups to define personalization. This was really interesting. Uh, the first group was, uh, was buyers, right? We said, what does personalization mean to you? Like give us the, the top three things you expect in personalization. The first one is you can solve my problem. The second is they knew the company name. And the third was the industry, right? We asked the exact same question to find personalization to marketers. The three attributes they threw in was first name, company <laughs> name, and industry. Right? If, if you were able to you know, keep those three in mind, the biggest one missing to the marketer is I can solve your problem. Right? Yeah. And, and this mindset of personalization is one that we have to come back to. It's that you actually have what I care about. Right? And this all comes back to things that we've talked about today. 
map to understand what their problems are and what they're expecting from you. It's you know making sure that we tag the content so that we serve it at the right at, at the right stage. It's packaging it up in a way where someone is able to find the next one after the first one. Like these are all the little things that are ultimately coming back to this idea of personalization. And as you said, your guys' research, you know, stop searching for things that probably don't even matter. Yep. There you go. Yeah, totally. totally. Yep. Um, I think that's super awesome. I'm just going to quickly sort of, there, there's a lot. There's actually a really, like, this is maybe the meatiest podcast we've ever had of immediate action items that people can do, right? So, so like, this is, which is awesome, everybody. I hope everybody's getting a ton of value if they actually stuck through and aren't listening to ACDC right now. Um, but but to, to sort of summarize some of the quick, easy things that people could go do today after listening to this episode, first, make sure you didn't, haven't timestamped any content. Fix that, right? Stop doing that immediately. Go make this spreadsheet. I don't care how rudimentary it is right away. You're going to start somewhere. By the way, as your ICP develops, as your product develops, as you increase your, your buyer cycle, like you might change your stages and add things in and figure out that your buyer's journey is a little different. You're going to iterate on that spreadsheet over and over and over again, right? And that's totally fine. You're going to identify new gaps, but go make that spreadsheet, identify the gaps, figure out what content you need to make in your buyer's journey, and then work with your content team on doing that. And tag everything times like put it put organize everything package it in a way that's easily readable make sure you're able to track all those metrics using tools like mct and just campaigns and salesforce very very simple right um and finally once you've done all of that make sure you're packaging in a way that's very easily distributable to your sales team so they're not going to google to find your internal content is that did I summarize? Is, I, I'm sure I missed things. Good. I mean, we're we're hiring at Uberflip if you're in. Two of you doing this podcast, I think two could handle it now. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, we'll cut that out of the episode. We'll talk later. Um, <laughs> um, cool. Any, any other last thoughts on this before I segue us into uh, the last thing? No, I'm I'm ready. All right, cool. So, so I don't, Randy. I don't know if you're a long-time listener, first-time listener. It doesn't matter. We always start or we always end our episodes with what we call this week on LinkedIn. So, Alec, make the noise so we can do this week on LinkedIn here. This week on LinkedIn, Alec just typed noise with an exclamation point. In the <laughs> I mean, I can open the door and I'm sure a kid or a dog is going to do that. There'll be a fire. I'm in LA. A fire truck will drive by any minute now. Um, or a helicopter. Yeah. So, so uh, this week on LinkedIn, I got a message that, that is totally unrelated to the conversation we've just had, but that's entirely fine. That's typically how this works. Uh, hey, guys, I'd love to hear how you guys talk about and how you decide when you need to buy something new for your tech stack which is a wonderful meeting, meaty question that we could probably do a whole episode around and probably will do a whole episode around when to buy something and then how to evaluate, right? But yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Randy, putting you on the spot with a question you're totally unprepared for, I'm, as is tradition. I had no idea this one was coming, swear. But I have a very <laughs> strong opinion on this. Great, that's, that's what we're going for. Is, technology is not the first answer. Right. And, and I think a lot of us run to technology very often to say it's going to solve my problem. Right. Maybe the worst technology that anyone ever bought because they thought it was going to solve their problem was marketing automation, because <laughs> that word automation was like, oh, I'm just going to like, 
I'm going to automate this thing. This is yeah. great. I mean, it's it's gonna be, it's, every, and, everything's going to be automatic and I'm going to get all these it. leads. It's, it's going to be wonderful. It's like yeah. the worst term to set expectations for <laughs> what people need to do in their job. Yeah. But, you know, the the framework that I use isn't mine. It's, it's one that we hear all the time. People, process, and technology, right? And we see it often as a triangle. And But what I always say is the first thing you need is people. Right. Like that's your first thing. If you don't have good people on your team, it doesn't matter what tech you buy or how you go to market. You need good people, you know, who are wise, who understand your buyers, who understand all. Then you need a process. Right. You take that process. You kind of stretch it to the point it's breaking. So you do it without technology. Like we talked about a spreadsheet today. Right. And, and how you can do things with a spreadsheet. Only when you get to that point where you can see it's working in a very small scale. That's when you add tech because tech is going to allow you to scale, but it's going to allow you to scale on the back of good people and good process. You know, I always talk, we had, we have this customer, a lot of people know them, Snowflake and, and Snowflake was working with us on their ABM strategy from the real, very beginning. And, and I give them credit because before they came to us, they had built this one-to-one landing page for content for their key accounts and they did so with really smart people on their team. And they did so with this template that they built in like a crappy CMS template, right? And, and it was really painful to do as they described, but it worked for the first few. And their execs were all like, this is awesome. We're seeing such great engagement from these accounts. And they were able to use that to make the business case to say, well, more so their, their execs came to them. They're like, what you did for those three accounts, we need you to do that for 100. And then eventually, <laughs> at the, and they were like, okay, that's not happening unless we have tech. So this combination of, okay, this is working. Let's do it at scale. That was a great way that someone ended up buying Uberflip and having that proof and mindset to do so. And I think that's the same with everything that's out there, right? Yeah. You know, before you go buy sales tech, same type of thing. Make sure that you have a process and people to back that at the end of the day. Yeah, Love yeah. That. It's 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 almost like um, you've identified a problem that you want to solve, right? Which which in that instance is delivering content, and you've you've done a essentially like a test, like a, a simple test on a couple of accounts, and said, hey, if we deliver content better, it's going to help us exponentially because we had success in this very simple test, right? And then your pro- the problem then it becomes not hey, we need to do this. The problem becomes, how do we do this at scale? And, and that's where technology can really come in and, and actually solve problems in, in really meaningful ways because it allows you to scale your solution that you already know works, right? And Absolutely. So super, super important. Brandon, Jonathan, same question. Any Anything else you want to pop in? Okay, I, yeah, and I got a few. So, I mean, I, I, I love that, that people process uh, technology. Um, I Whenever I'm um, thinking about new tech, that like... The question that I always ask is like, how can I test this as small as possible, as quick as possible, as low risk as possible? What's my hypothesis? How can I prove that out? And then you also want to know when you do buy that technology, what's the actual return you're going to get? Because you're going to need to make a business case for that, right? You can't oh, and just then track track KPIs for it, right? D- exactly. Then you can set, set KPI, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I love that framework. And, and honestly, a lot of times people jump to, to text too quickly because like the CEO is like, hey, we got this problem. It's the biggest problem on earth right now. It's the biggest fire. We got to put it out. And everyone's like, uh, uh, OK, let's go buy tech for it. And then like next month, it's like he's off to his next, 
you know, big fire and here you are stuck with this piece of technology who's eating up your budget, right? So it's like, all right, what, what's the real business problem that this is solving? And then put together your, your buying requirements. Get it, get, I think we talked about this before on the podcast too in a previous episode, but get your uh, ops team involved in actually evaluating that technology, make it sure everything hooks up properly, everything's going to work, your systems aren't going to break. Um, and then, yeah, test it out and then scale from there. Yep, totally agree. And I, I think the people thing, most important, Randy really nailed that. And I think I, I see this, especially on the enterprise side of the fence is they just continue to stand up new tech because they've got all kinds of budget to spend and then they don't have the people to support the tech. So you end up just having all this expensive tech sitting out there doing nothing or being duplicative with your other tech and it just creates a mess. So definitely agree with everything you said, Randy. Thousand yeah. percent. The only other thing I would sort of add in because our, a lot of our listeners, I think, are ops folks. I see y'all. I don't want to make sure your ops team isn't spending all of their time implementing new technology because every yeah. time you buy a tool, your ops team spends months <laughs> working on it, right? Like, and, and if you start buying a bunch and a bunch of tools, pretty soon your ops team is just doing that, and they're not going back to doing things like. Helping your content team make a spreadsheet that maps out the buyer's journey and figures out where the gaps in content are, right? Like there, there's other things that they can be doing that are higher priority and more valuable for your company often than implementing a technology that solves maybe a relatively small problem. Absolutely. No, Jordan, just, just building off of that, I mean, I, I think it's often on the marketing ops people to make sure they share the success stories in their organizations, not just do the vendor case study, but like share it in your org. We have, we have a customer, uh, I don't know if I can say who they are, so I won't, but uh, <laughs> they, they've, it's, a, it's a very important customer of ours. They've expanded to multiple use cases, very large enterprise, but they organized a, I, I don't know if it was a lunch and learn or what it was for their entire organization. And they had five different business units present how they were using our technology. We were there, honestly, just in the background to support, but they presented this these best case stories and it was their marketing ops team's way of saying, this is where we want to lean in on, right? We've, we've implemented this. We know it works. We know you're all probably having similar troubles. Before you go buy other tech, take a look at how this works. So I, I think it's a good thing to try and do is, is really look at the things that are helping your organization. And if you're in a large enterprise, Share those stories, broadcast them, because the more centralization you have, to your point, the less tech you got to keep spinning up. Thousand percent. Cool. I love that. Love that. Um, I think that's it. Anybody? Any last thoughts on on this week on LinkedIn? I will. I will maybe type this up and send it to her. I typically forget, and then they have to wait three weeks to get a response to their question. So, um, but but I think that was a great answer. Any anything else you want to add? No, this is this has been an awesome episode, Randy. Really appreciate you you coming on. Um, where where can people learn more about you? Learn more about Uberflip? Sure, absolutely. Uh, we've got the domain at uberflip.com, so that would be the the right spot. <laughs> it's an easy one. Uh, and, uh, Just go digest some content on uberflip.com. It's there. Exactly, it's there. <laughs> if, if we're not, you know presenting it to you, then you know that we're not uh, drinking our own champagne or whatever analogy you like there. Uh, and as for me, I mean, you know, my favorite channel is still LinkedIn. I just think it's a great way to connect with like-minded people, uh, not waste time, uh, but learn from each other. And, um, you know, if you want to grab my book, uh, you can go to b-rand.com, uh, my cute way of saying brand.com. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, and, and you'll find a link to, to Amazon there where you can get the book and uh, check it out, uh, listen to it, however you like it. Yeah, good, that's, great book. That's awesome. Fuck content marketing. But that, that's the title I'm not saying. It, the, not a yeah, single yeah. episode has ever gone by where Brandon hasn't mentioned that he's read a specific book. I gotta put it in. He always <laughs> has to slip in that he's read a book. In, yeah, in, I, in, I, I, I felt special for a moment, but thanks for. for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Randy, it was awesome. Thank you for joining us. For, for everybody listening, um, send me your questions via LinkedIn. Of course, you can follow all of us on, on LinkedIn as well and, and uh, shoot us your questions, and we'll make sure we try to cover them in, in the next week's episode. Randy, Thank you for joining this. This was an awesome conversation. And I think, like I said, one of the most value packed action item filled podcasts we've ever done. So, so thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah, this awesome amazing. guys. This was, this was a blast. Thanks for having me and thanks for everyone for tuning in.